Arsenal Therapy Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Arsenal Therapy Podcast. My name is Farhan, also known as Gunner since 96. And as always, joining me here this afternoon is Adam Keys. Adam, how are you doing? I'm very good, mate. Buzzing with yesterday's result and just really glad to be watching Arsenal at the minute. So I was at the game and yeah, just a real joyous day out for the Arsenal fans. So, so yeah, really great day all around. How are you doing? I'm okay. Um, I, I know I usually always say I'm okay. I mean, I guess I'm less than okay. I'm teetering on the edge of okay and not okay, but I think I'm okay. So <laughs> um, I basically had a bit of a situation where I left my laptop um, at uh, somewhere else, basically, in one of my clients' cars, and um, came home in a bit of a frantic sort of chaos, um, trying to find a solution to record the podcast because um, regular listeners will know that the Arsenal Therapy podcast went missing for a week. I know. Um, we are working on it. We are finding a viable solution to make sure no technical issues ever get in our way ever again. So, um, yeah, we're here now and this is a very special episode because unofficially or officially it's episode 201, but unofficially it's episode 200. And ironically, um, the episode, the 200th episode happens to be against the same team, which um, kickstarted this whole thing. So episode one was against Burnley as well, uh, a, a defeat nonetheless, um, and Aubameyang getting a red card. So this time round, we, you know, it's, it's night and day. Um, we beat Burnley 5-0. We didn't manage to get a sixth goal, which was slightly disappointing if you ask me. Having beaten West Ham 6-0, um, I, I expected us to go on and score seven, maybe eight. That didn't happen. Adam, do I need to be concerned about anything at this point? Or Farhan, I, just... I don't think you do, but knowing <laughs> you, I think you will find a reason to make yourself concerned. So, so yeah, I think... Just enjoy the moment, live every game with enjoyment and just keep appreciating what this great group of players is doing. Every week, we, we're just delivering time and time again. There's so much energy in the team, so much attack and potency. And the, the structure in and out of play is just so elite that this team are destined for something very, very special. <coughs> Yeah, I know on the group chat I was um, kind of, you know, playing with the idea of winning a league title potentially or being the 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 form team in the Premier League at the moment, playing some of the best football we have done this season. I think ever since the Dubai training camp, we've looked like a completely different team. If anything, the Dubai training camp marked the beginning of what we hope to see at the at the start of the season. Um a lot of you listening to this, including you, Adam, don't want to entertain the idea of uh, a league chase or to be entertaining a conversation about um, challenging for the league title. I'm curious to know why that is. And is it because with three more games to go, we enter the final 10 games? What is it about Arsenal fans right now um, and the very sort of reality 
of our situation, especially with City dropping points against Chelsea, which puts us in the driver's seat. Um, again, a lot of people very reluctant to view it through that lens. Um, I seem to be, you know, of the opinion that if we're in it, we should be speaking about it or we should be preparing ourselves for a title chase um is the ptsd of what happened last season a bit too much for us to be able to handle again what could potentially go wrong no i, I don't think anyone's not prepared to entertain the title race we are in a title race and w- when i say we have to take every game game by game it's you lit- we literally have to win every game and that's what I, I'm not looking at May. I'm looking at Newcastle. We have to win that game. We have to keep winning every game because we, we are in a title race. And myself and every Arsenal fan will be gutted if we don't win the title. I think we're all fully aware of the machine that we're up against. And this is a Man City team that have, has won five of the last six titles. And... Uh, it's just been an unstoppable force. The the volume of trophies that they've won, that that's what we're competing against, and we're also competing against a very very good Liverpool team. So, it it's not not wanting to entertain a title race. I think it's more we are in February. There's still three months of the season left. There's Champions League to come back. I think it's more one enjoying every moment, and two the pressure of the, the pressure's on to beat Newcastle next week. And then after that, the pressure will be on again to beat Sheffield United and then to beat Brentford. And that's the, that's the reality of where we're at. We have to win every game now. And I think the standards are so high. The expectations of the fan base are so high. And I think the, how gutted we are after any defeat or any draws now shows that everyone believes we're in a title race. And I think everyone it has fully embraced that. I don't think it's PTSD. I think the reality is if you want to mix it with the big boys and you want to play at the top, you have to win every game. You have to have those high standards. And that's just the reality of it. But it's it's not getting carried away as opposed to not wanting to embrace a title chase. Mm. Well, the last two games certainly have shown a side of Arsenal to suggest that we have matured from the back end of last season. I mean, we're yet to approach those final 10 games. And I mean, this time last season, we were still high flyers when we were still performing at quite a a high intense level. Um, What do you think is different about us this time round at this particular point of the season compared to last season? I think we're a better team. I think that's a given. Um, we have, we are a better team. We're more mature. We've got more depth in the side. We've got more quality in key positions. I think the the addition of Declan Rice, Kai Havertz, um, I think David Rea, although people won't want to talk about him, has brought a real calmness to the team now that he's finally settled in. I think. Rea was someone who came in in very unfortunate circumstances for himself and for Aaron Ramsdale. I I think the reality is Arteta created a situation that he didn't really need to, and I don't think Arteta handled it well. So I think if he was more straight with Rea is being brought in to compete with Ramsdale for the number one shirt, 
it may have created less of a circus instead we got all that nonsense about the substitute and keepers and so on but now that he's settled he's brought a real calmness to us defensively um <laughs> our playing it out from the back um our control of games a lot of that is coming from the back and Ray is a big part of that. In midfield, we've got a big dual winner in Declan Rice. We've got another one in Kai Havertz. And the two of them are very, very level-headed players. They're both very calm. Declan's an aggressive, physical player. And Kai is in his own way too. And I think we've got we, we've got a lot more balance to the side. And I think part of that is down to... Kai Havertz settling. Um, we didn't necessarily have that when he was learning the left eight position. But all in all, I think there's we've added real quality in key positions, but there's also an element of maturity. We have grown. We've learned from last year's experience. And if you look at Saka, he's 22 years old. A year ago, you're talking about a 21-year-old player really leading the charge. Again, Odegaard, first season as captain. He's got another year's experience under his belt. Same with the likes of Saliba, Gabriel, Martinelli, and so on. These players just have a bit more maturity about them. And we're doing that without Timber. Um, Smith Rowe's been in and out all season. Dinchenko's injured. Um, Fabio Vieira, Thomas Party. There's five very, very good players, all top quality, and we are right in the mix for a title without them. Imagine what we can do if we get all of those guys fit for the running. So I think a big part of it is we are incredibly well organized. As a team, we're far better set up than we were last season. Um, We're more unpredictable to play against. And off the ball, I think we're the best team probably in world football right now. A year ago, we were far from that. So I think all those factors coming together, that's what's really put us right in the mix for the title at this point. And I do think that we're going to get stronger in the run-in this year as opposed to last year. We just ran out of steam. Mm, No, yeah, I do tend to agree with you on the, um, you know, mature kind of... (laughs) aspect of things I think um, when we're looking at the way that we build up or the way that we attack or the way that we set up there isn't one or two particular players that we have our eyes on like we did in previous seasons um, I think that's the kind of key with this it everything that we do is about focus so when it comes to the pressure I think you have to embrace that pressure of being a team that goes for the title I I don't think we can place too much pressure on this because I think no matter how much pressure we put on them those players and Arteta will be putting far more pressure than we can imagine on the team as a whole and I think the standards of the club even if you look at things at 5-0 yesterday Arteta's still glaring at them still screaming at them still demanding more and that's the standards that exist within the club now whereas at 5-0 we're all having a party Arteta's not doing that Arteta's thinking right who can I get off ahead of Porto who can I get on that pitch and really get them to show me what they can do and that's the standards that really exist at Arsenal now and a few years ago we just didn't have that. And I think even last season, we tended to get to maybe 2-0 up, 3-0 up, and we made it difficult for ourselves. The last two weeks, we've gone out and battered teams. We've got those fourth, fifth goals and the sixth against West Ham. That wasn't something that we've seen before, and we've talked about it on this show, that we lack at times that real complete killer instinct to go and batter teams in the way we see Liverpool and City doing. We're starting to get that now. 
And I think coming back to embracing the pressure, after West Ham, Saka said he couldn't enjoy getting his 50th goal for Arsenal because he had missed a couple of chances and, and he wasn't happy with his performance overall. Then against Burnley, after the game, he says that he's gutted that he didn't get a hat-trick. And um, he, he really wanted that third goal, and that hat-trick's going to come soon. So we're now seeing Saka, I think, go from a player that's heavily involved, scored a good number of goals to he's now ready to be that killer for us. And I think he's looking at Salah and thinking, right, Mo Salah's banging in 25 goals a season. He's been banging in, what, 12, 14 goals for the last few years, he's now got 12 league goals already. I think Saka's now looking at himself and putting himself in that 20 goal a season bracket. And that's his goal on a personal level. So all that feeds into embracing the pressure. These players just want to be better. And again, I think it's just, this is what it comes down to, about enjoying the moment. We didn't have that a few years ago. Like how many times did you, you look at the players and you just think, pull your socks up, go out, put a shift in. Like now we're putting in a better shift than ever before. And we're also playing unbelievable football. And it all feeds into each other where every player on the pitch, you look at them and they're all doing their jobs. I, the, the days of an Obama Yang or an Alexis Sanchez or a Van Persie carrying the team, mm. that's been and gone. We're not looking at individuals now. We're looking at team performances. And I've watched the game back and it's actually unbelievable how good we are. When I watched the West Ham game back, it was the same. And same with Liverpool. I'm watching these games back and I, I proper nerd out about the details within the games. And it's a real joy to watch because the standards are just so, so high. And every player, like something goes wrong and it's the 89th minute, you're 5-0 up. Everyone turns and runs and chases. Like we couldn't even get players to run when it was one each and we were chasing the game at times. And again, this is what wins you titles. It's everyone pulling their weight, not just one or two players. It's the whole team all pulling in the same direction. Yeah, such an interesting point that you made there about, you know, uh, relying on single players who would carry the team. And, you know, for a number of years, we would know what what would be around the corner at the end of the season. The star player would oftentimes be sold, whether it was Fabregas, mm. whether it was Van Persie, whether it was, you know... Um, whoever else might be the case there was a whole list I uh, remember you know Alexandra Kleb entering his golden age and then leaving for Barcelona and uh, Vermaelen and uh, Alex Song these gems that we would sort of churn out and now they're dotted around everywhere so I'm really eager and keen to to discuss this game I know we don't um, get to talk about West Ham maybe we can quickly touch on West Ham as well because two very contrasting um, performances I felt like against West Ham it was very intense it was very um, frantic at times I felt like we were just almost in the playground having fun and just um, you know toying with with West Ham against Burnley it felt a little bit more regimented it felt a little bit more controlled we picked our moments and we picked them apart in those moments so um just quickly on the starting lineup then because um I know we don't usually talk about starting lineups much nowadays but with Porto in the horizon did you expect to see a little bit more um a few more changes in the starting lineup than what we're used to seeing no, I, I'll be honest. I didn't expect to see anything other than what we saw. The 
thing that I was more looking at was the bench. I was more kind of interested in the players returning. I, I think we're at the point of the season where you 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 don't rotate too much. You need to win every game in the Premier League. You need to win these games in the Champions League. And against West Ham, we took Saka, Declan Rice, and someone else off after about 66 minutes. So we we had those players having their feet up for the last half hour and we were able to give them a breather. We've had a week off and a big part of it is getting a strong team out, getting the game won early. And that's what City do so well. They win games early and they're able to take players off. You're not chasing games right until the, right until the end. And so I, I was looking at the bench, obviously Jorginho came back, which was good to see. Smithrow was back in the team again, good to see, but I was expecting Tommy Yasu to be back again, still out after the Asia cup, which is really disappointing because he went. He got injured and missed some time before the Asia Cup. Then he goes to the Asia Cup, got eased in by, by Japan, played a lot of football there. But Matoma's back for Brighton. Endo's back for Liverpool. We've got given Tommy Yasu this new contract. And yet again, he's he's out for us and unavailable. So he is a very frustrating player because we know he's really, really a quality player when he's fit. But these injuries continue to persist and I don't know if Arsenal are being cautious with him but it is frustrating we had hoped Thomas Party would be back Arteta yeah. said he was very close so again I was a bit disappointed that he wasn't in the squad and the same with Gabriel Jesus I had expected him to be back because that's now uh, three games he's missed uh, since the Forest game and it, again it's he scored in the Forest game, had a really, really good performance, got man of the match in that game and um, with a goal and an assist. And then he's out for three games again. And it's with Jesus, I think a lot's made of his goal scoring. But actually, I think if he was fit for a full season, he would score a pretty respectable number of goals while still being an erratic finisher. But the issue is he can't stay fit. You can't rely on a nine that's missing as many games as he is. And I think that's four injuries he's had this season. And he's missed a lot of football for us. So it, with the your question about the starting 11, I really liked it. I was really, really pleased to see Trossard keep his place because I think he's been excellent and I think he deserves to be starting. But But yeah, it was more the bench I was looking at and thinking we don't have a huge amount on there. But... Turns out we didn't need it. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, uh, I, I I think I, for one, um, was expecting maybe a couple of changes. I mean, I do have one eye on the Champions League. Of course, we all do. But more so than ever before, because... I don't know. I I feel like the majority of us are downplaying the importance of this fixture. It, it, it does almost seem like we're overlooking this first leg against Porto somewhat. I don't know. Maybe it's a perception thing, but yeah, maybe it's just maybe just you. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say maybe maybe it's just me overlooking them. But um, I I do want to see a fully fit, strong Arsenal eleven against Porto. I do want to, you know, win that convincingly so that um, sandwiched in between that, that second leg, we have some um, tough fixtures. You've got, well, Brentford at home should be okay. 
But then Chelsea at home, and we saw what they did against City. Chelsea just seemed to be the jammy bogey team this season. So, you know, and then after Chelsea, we've got City. So, yeah, uh, I, I would have liked to have seen maybe a few more changes. I definitely would have liked to have seen Emil Smith-Rowe. I don't know, maybe it might be too early for him. Um, I don't think I ever want to see Thomas Partey play again because every time he does, he ends up missing the next two months. Um, but yeah, overall, really happy with that starting lineup. So let's talk about the opening 10 minutes then because an away game to Burnley is is, is never simple. Um, however, this Burnley team that um, company has put together is different crop of players and a different style of play. Um, yeah. They very much like to dominate the ball. They like to knock the ball around. They are the polar opposite of Sean Dyche's anti-football Burnley. So I, I, I was quite surprised to see a front-footed approach from them, a very physical sort of approach from them um, in the opening few minutes, you know, really pressing forward and trying to pose an attacking threat. Um, what, what did you sort of make of that opening first few minutes? Do you think, do you, were, were you expecting, because you were there um, at the stadium. So did you expect Burnley to be as aggressive as they were? Um, or did you feel like Arsenal were just feeling themselves into the game? Um, I didn't think Burnley were that aggressive. Um, I think they came out, um, they established themselves. They played football, they trying to get on the ball. There was an energy about them, but they were they were coming forward with a fairly high line. They were wanting to get on the ball. There was duels to be won out there, but all in all, I didn't think it was I didn't think it was an aggressive game at all. And um, it, as you say, a, a real contrast to what we had at Burnley for years when we played against Sean Dyche teams, but. I think it's one of those, like Sean Dyche is a, a superb manager and as good as they come in my opinion, but he's he's someone that really extracts every bit of value out of his players. And when I look at how Vincent Company sets up this Burnley team, I think he's got a very, very good structure. The issue is he doesn't have the quality of players to execute mm. it as Mikel Arteta does at his disposal. And if you look at like James Trafford and goal, he wants to play out from the back. He's very calm on the ball. He's got that Rea-type quality that Ederson has as well, where he puts his foot in the ball and he can pass the ball right the way around the pitch and he's comfortable letting players come and press him. But again, he doesn't have the players in front of him and at times I think he looks like a bad keeper. He looks very inexperienced. And I know the Burnley fans really haven't taken to him. So they're calling for him to be dropped, even though he's very highly rated. Um, but with um, with the way Burnley started, I think they, they showed very early on that they would play football. Fafana was going to be a bit of a handful up front. He was very, very prepared for the physical challenge with Gabrielle. And I think it's hard to say we've, felt our way into the game when we scored three and a half minutes in. Yeah. And um, so, I, look, I I felt it was a very typical away day experience. One of the first thing I noticed when the ball kicked off, and I, I have to say I was in the home end, so my mate's got a season ticket at Burnley, and um, 
his mate couldn't go, so he gave me his ticket. And I was sitting right beside the Arsenal fans, which made it extremely difficult not to join in and celebrate. <laughs> and uh, but but yeah, one of those first thing I did, I said to him, I was like, I think the last time Burnley cut the grass was was when Sean Dyche was still here. You, it was noticeably long, and it mm. was it was a very wet day. There was especially in the second half, but that was the first thing I noticed, and I think Arsenal felt their way in a bit to actually playing on that pitch. It's a smaller pitch in Premier League standards. And it's one of those, I think we did just feel our way in for the opening couple of minutes. There was a couple of duels here and there. And both teams were, I guess, really working out how the other was set up. And once again, we tweaked things compared to what we had against West Ham. And what I noticed very early on was Burnley had anticipated things that we had done, were looking at what what we had done against West Ham and tried to deal with those things early on and proactively deal with them. However, Arteta just had many more tricks up his sleeve and ultimately it didn't take long before an absolute beauty of a goal from Martin Odegaard to put us 1-0 up. Yeah, absolutely. You know, four minutes in, a beautiful strike. Um, It was looking a bit slow and clunky from Arsenal, I have to be honest. But a, a quick break. Um, all credit to Declan Rice, I believe it was, who plows through the midfield, ripping through um, that Burnley midfield, plays it wide to Martinelli. And he plays a really lovely cutback pass using the outside of his boot. A, a very unique bit of skill that not many wingers are confident enough to pull off, but he does and he executes it absolutely perfectly, finds it to Odegaard. Odegaard lets the ball settle and then pounces on it. Um, and it's one new and it's, it's a typical Arsenal goal. It's a beautiful Arsenal goal and it's one that we're going to be looking back on for many years to come. The perfect start to um, an away day at Burnley. How did you think um, Burnley responded after that goal went in? Um, I think they responded reasonably well. They, like my mate leant over and said to me, I, well, I did say to him, I was like, I wasn't joking about it being 5 0 here today. And he was like, mate, if we get away with 5 0, we'll have done well. But um, he, he said to me, he was like, watch this, we're going to lose our heads now. And they didn't. I, th- this is a very, very young Burnley team. And I felt that they reset themselves. Their shape was good. And their their fans were getting very frustrated with them. And I think it's hard for Burnley fans because they've been used to watching Sean Dyche football for so long, which is very organized, win the second ball, hoof it long, get it wide, get it in the box. And they've got a very different build-up plan with company. They... They've definitely got a very good structure in terms of how they're organized. And they went at us with a 4-4-2, which does at times make it difficult to play out because it gives you that lack of mobility around the pitch. However, they I, I felt the shape was very good. They were really trying to crowd things in midfield. And they you could see they had clearly planned for Ben White in Verton and they were getting men around him very, very quickly. However, we we dealt with it, and I think we were very mature in the way we dealt with them regaining their shape, and we didn't force things too much. We we played the game. We didn't go chasing that second goal straight away, and I think we we just managed the situation very, very well. I think 
going one one nil up, we knew they were going to have to come out a bit more than they were. It forced them into, I guess, abandoning any plans they may have had to play a low block. And ultimately, they had to actually play football against us. And that made the game a bit more open. So I think they they looked decent in the way they came out. And we just looked really, really strong. We really... We smothered them in everything we did. And I said the same thing last week after West Ham. We didn't let them play. And that that's multiple games now where we've seen that Arsenal just haven't let the opposition play. And you can say West Ham just weren't at it. You can say Burnley weren't at it. What happened to Liverpool? Supposedly the best team in the league right now. Liverpool couldn't get near us. We absolutely smothered them. Whenever Liverpool had the ball, it was dead possession. They, they didn't have a shot on target. They... We were happy to let them have the ball away from key areas of the pitch. The minute that ball got into an area we wanted to dominate, we didn't let them have it. And it's the same against West Ham, same against Burnley. And that's what we're doing to teams. We're absolutely killing them right now. And although Burnley were good in the early stages, the way they settled, a company would have been happy with it. We were just elite. Yeah, yeah. Um I did feel like the opening uh, sort of after after the goal, the next sort of five to seven minutes um, did get a little bit um, aggressive. It got a little bit interesting. Tackles are flying in. Um, Martinelli, uh, some I don't know whether it was a headbutt or not, but um, ends up on the floor. Saka then receiving on the receiving end of an, of an aggressive challenge. So um, it's, it was good to see that at least Burnley were there to play a game of football. Unlike West Ham, um, they kind of submitted as soon as that first goal went in. But yeah, ultimately, very kind of scrappy opening 10 minutes. Lots of aerial balls, lots of headers. Um, you could hear Arteta shouting, karma, karma, you know, because both teams are playing at such a high tempo. And and, and then eventually um, things start to settle. Uh, Burnley get, in, get back into their 4-4-2 shape, defensive shape, allowing us to kind of move the ball around and build a controlled possession very intelligently moving it back and forward in order to exploit spaces in front of the line. And something that I noticed, which, you know, I think you touched on was um, because we were unable to free up Ben White to do the overlap, we had another sort of attacking outlet, which was uh, the ball over the top for Kai Havertz. Um, I am keen to have a conversation about Havertz because, um, you know, it's he's he's a hot topic at the moment. It has been for a while. Um, you, you're, I'm, I'm sure, you know, you're going to give your opinions on how you felt Kai did. And uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe a lot of fans listening to this will agree with you your stance um ultimately we are split in two camps about how we perceive kai where his best position is on the pitch one thing that i do think we're all coming around to is the idea that kai is becoming a better footballer and he's adjusting better and he's becoming more comfortable um which is is clear to see um but I can't help but notice the amount of 
do I use the word errors or do I use the another word? Um, you, can use, you can use whatever word you want, and then I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> That's how this is going to work. Yeah, yeah. So I can so feel yeah. a big grueling coming. Yeah. So okay, fine. I'll, I'll I'll be I'll be I'll be as open and as honest as I can be. Um, I like Kai Havertz. I think I think what he brings to the table is sufficient enough for what we need. Um, having said that, I think what's really important for a player who's taking up that centre forward role is to number one get your positioning right number two make sure you receive the ball and have a good first touch um so he he's picking up his positioning really well um i love how he's able to you know get himself in positioned in the right place but also pick it up um and just be in and around that area where position possession is is being held he makes himself readily available unlike Eddie Nketiah who I feel like sometimes strays in between the lines and isolates himself in between defenders he makes himself available but what I was a little bit um disappointed with was his first touch was his inability to bring the ball under control I understand it's a big ask when the ball's coming over the top for you to um first you know compose yourself when you're under pressure against the center back and number two, bring the ball under control. So that's where I stand on Kai. Um, really chuffed that he got the goal and how he eventually grew into the game, but he's still a very clunky sort of player who, let's be honest, does disrupt the efficiency of the way the ball's moved. Am I wrong? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think Kai's rule yesterday. I, I so I, I'm going to do an analysis show on YouTube of Kai's rule within the team, and uh, I have gone through. I basically screen grabbed every action he made during this game, and um, so I will. I watched this game in a lot of detail, and what's interesting is his role in and out of position uh, within the team. So. He very, very much played the lefty at role yesterday. And with Trossard up front, they had a very, very good understanding. When when Havertz went forward and went beyond, Trossard dropped into midfield. And the two of them at times uh, became a two up front. And um, out of possession, the minute we... we we regained our shape. We went into essentially a double pivot at times when we went deep with Havertz being in line with Rice at multiple times throughout the game. However, whenever we were pressing and we were playing higher up the pitch, Havertz was, it was very much a man-to-man press with Odegaard and Havertz really leading that and Trossard going through the middle and chasing and kind of closing the keeper and the free man. And that led to us really being able to stop Burnley from playing led to a lot of uh, turnovers in the middle of the park and a lot of them quite high up. But on the ball, we we also saw him actually progressing it very well. What's interesting is because I, I listened to the commentary on Arsenal player whenever I was watching the game back today and they mentioned Havertz's first touch. So there was three instances where his first touch let him down and considering the amount of people that talked about his first touch yesterday, I was expecting to have a kind of whole ream of notes of Havertz first touch being poor. And actually it was very good for a lot of the game, but there were a couple of big moments. So there was one, he tried a Cruyff turn, uh, which was actually the right thing. It was per execution. 
but it was also a very difficult one to pull off because he's running at full speed. Ball's coming across the edge of the box and he needs to uh, Cruyff turn and then play the ball into Martinelli or turn and shoot. So it's a difficult one to control. Then the um, the one in the lead up to uh, Trossard's goal, but actually it's kind of his position in there that leads to the goal. And then there was one other which... I can't think of right now. But actually, there was one, and it again, it led to another chance. It was Trotsard's fluff shot. Ball came in, and he, he actually passes it to Saka, but I, I don't think he means that pass. And um, I think it was a per first touch. But um, off the ball, the minute we got the ball and we started to attack, the intelligence of Kai's runs were unbelievable yesterday. He was going through the middle. He was really attacking that left half space. And at times he was actually popping up more towards the right half space as well. And you can see every time he gets the someone gets the ball, he sets off. But what's even more impressive is kind of his willingness to repeatedly make these runs. And then the minute we lose the ball, he's straight back down the other end of the pitch. And he was doing that right up to the minute he was taken off. And um, so for me, I think this was one of his best games in an Arsenal shirt. This is one of the games where I felt he really took ownership of that left eight position. And a big part of, I think, why he's maybe failed to catch the headlines at Arsenal is because of the number of different things that are asked of him in that role. And I don't think ball progression is the number one priority for, from Arteta with his asks of Kai. And ultimately, let's face it, the thing that catches everyone's eye is what you do on the ball. And Kai does so much off the ball, but on it yesterday, he was very effective. And then the... Uh, often he was just a menace. So, so yeah, I, I think he was absolutely superb yesterday and one of our best players. And that kind of feeds into, well, I've, I've read player ratings right across all the kind of major Arsenal sites and everyone has rated him extremely highly with yesterday's performance. Well, look, let's hope it continues. Let's hope that the goals keep coming, but also... Um, his confidence flows because I think a confident Kai had Kai Havertz is a dangerous Kai Havertz, be it on or off the ball. Um, yeah, I find it really difficult to praise an Arsenal player and their work off the ball because the way that Arteta has set this team up for for a good few years now we have been really good off the ball we have been able to get ourselves into three or four different um formations as quickly as possible in order to you know uh play to 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 the game plan it's why it's one of the reasons why we've been one of the best defensive sides the best defensive side in the league because we're so good off the ball so i guess that's one of the reasons why i'm reluctant to give him so much praise on that front um but but like I said, I'll stress uh, the, the the point that I made at the, at the beginning, which was his positioning is excellent and his awareness of uh, his ability to read the game as well is second to none. So if we can just get a little bit more efficiency in what Emil Smith-Rowe brings onto the pitch, which is a bit more quick decision-making, a bit more fluidity, um, Maybe I'm asking for too much. I mean, they're two different types of players and it's good to have those contrasting. Yeah, the, the, they're two very different 
players. But I, th- I think when you're saying about it being difficult to credit players for what they do off the ball, Kai's a big reason why we are so good off the ball. We are, because I want to get on to Smith Rowe and um, how bad he is off the ball. Like it, it's actually worrying how bad Smith Rowe is off the ball in this Arsenal team. And um, so the only negative things we will discuss from my end will be Smith Rowe being incapable of playing off the ball at the minute and Eddie Nketiah's hopefully very swift departure from Arsenal this summer. Oh, God, wow. I didn't expect that from you, Adam. That was very aggressive. <laughs> so, yeah, I am yeah. beyond defending Nketiah. I think I've got to the end of my tether with him. But but let's focus on the positives of the first half because that's that's what we're here for yes. is the, the positivity and the, the five goals. So... Okay, let's have a chat about the the good parts. Fine. Okay, one of the good uh, parts that I really enjoyed was the attacking down the left hand side. Martinelli, since being dropped, has really come of age, if you want to call it that. He is, um, you know, grown as a player and taken ownership for what he his what his strengths are and what his weaknesses are. Um, I think whoever it was that was trying to mark him had a really really difficult time. It was. Asignor. Okay, cool. Um, But I did feel like in moments, we did get the second goal, but the second goal did come quite late on in the first half. In between the first and the second goal, there was a lot of um, possession being built up. I felt like sometimes we were overplaying and overpassing. Now, you might be of the opinion that it was very purposeful and the reason behind building the possession was to open up space and to release at the right moments and the right time. Um, I just felt like maybe we we had a tendency of overplaying um, and not releasing quick enough. But look, we beat them 5-0 and um, I think we all agreed at the end of the first half that we were struggling to get out of second gear or we were deciding not to get out of second gear, if you want to call it that. Burnley did have their fair share of kind of, uh, you know, opportunities to to have a go at us. Odebert gets away from Saka and White, puts in a dangerous cross, um, which which Raya makes, uh, is, has, has, is forced to make a save out of. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the death of the first half, we do get a penalty, a very soft one as well, might I add. What was your kind of stance on the penalty being given? Um, it was, I, I, I was at the other end, so we had to get it up on, um, I had to look it up on Twitter at half time to see. I think it was a penalty because if you look back, it was definitely a penalty. There's no doubt about that. It's one of those, if you watch it in slow motion, it looks soft, but if you watch it in real time, it is Stonewall. And Trossard gets his foot to the ball before the Burnley defender and pushes it away. It's one of those, look, Trossard's not getting to his touch. He just knows he needs to touch the ball before the defender and he's going to go over. That's modern football. And so I guess in that sense, yeah, it's soft. But when you dive in in the box like that, that, that's what happens. But it was very good play. Lovely ball from Odegaard into Havertz. Havertz does really well. A couple of good touches in the box and plays a sideways pass into Trossard, who obviously won the penalty. But at that point as well, I felt Trossard was 
I thought he was really, really good, but just that final action wasn't there. He came very close early in the game when he almost went round Trafford uh, 12 minutes into the game. And th- mm. there were other moments as well. We had players running in behind. Saka was causing a lot of problems. And I think for all our, I guess, overpassing at times, we did play quite a few balls into the Burnley box. But I, I think your point about not really getting out of second gear. I think that's very fair. And that was something I felt throughout the game. I I think there was an element of we can win this just by kind of following this plan. And then when the penalty came, I I really felt we needed the second goal at that time because I was a bit worried that we were almost getting a bit complacent. Yeah, yeah. And it was a really good penalty as well by Saka. Um, goalkeeper goes the right way but the ball goes underneath the keeper maybe the keeper needs to do better but um, Saka gets his goal and then he cheaply gets himself a yellow card for kicking the ball away. I, I don't I didn't, I didn't quite understand why he needed to do that it felt really I don't know it was almost as if he needed to do that in order to help someone win a bet you know it was just so <laughs> unnecessary I, like, why, do, why do you know the bit that frustrated me about that is it was a yellow card all day long. That's the rules of the game. We, we He should have known better. I think the, the thing that pisses me off about these yellow cards is the inconsistency of them. Mm. It's like Saka's booked for that, but in another week, someone else won't be booked for that. And it, it's just, but yeah, it it was stupid. And it's like, why have you done that, mate? You don't need to. It's it's a stupid yellow card. But but yeah, after going 2-0 up, it's, I think it was one of those that... It was just a relief that we we went two 0 up, and I felt at that point I was still adamant we were going to win five nil, and I was yeah. right. You was right, absolutely. Okay, well, let's talk about the second half then. Um, I was on a bit of a drinks break <laughs> as this uh, goal was being scored, so I missed the first opening minutes. And to my surprise, we had gone three nil up. Electric start to the second half with a yeah. big strike from Bakayo Saka. Do you want to take us through this goal? Yeah, well, I was sitting right in front of this, so or standing right in front because the the Burnley fans next to the away fans don't sit down. Um, but yeah, just a, a really nice piece of play. Again, it's Kai Havertz in the middle of the park gets it, uh, plays it across to Odegaard. Odegaard, a couple of nice touches and a really nice pass in between the fullback and the centre half. Saka gets it, um, takes a touch. I think it's one of those, most people are thinking Saka would cut inside and shoot on his left, but we've seen him do this finish before. Um, He obviously scored one against Everton last year, very, very similar to this. Um, And he's had had a a few of these. And um, yeah, onto his right foot and an absolute belter of a strike straight into the roof of the net and again I've watched this back a few times it is closer to James Trafford than it looked whenever I was at the game however I don't think he can stop that I think there's so much power on the strike and I think it's one of those yes it's at the near post and you're you're always taught keepers should save things at the near post but there's just so much venom on the strike that I think it's powerful, it's pacey, and it's at the point of the goal where you're not necessarily expecting him to shoot. So it's at a horrible height for the keeper to deal with. And yeah, beautiful, absolutely beautiful. I don't think I can 
communicate how difficult it was not to celebrate when that went in, especially <laughs> because I, I love Saka probably more than any other player. And it's like every time Saka scores, I think every Arsenal fan feels like a proud dad. And yeah. um, so when that went in right in front of me and the Arsenal fans are going absolutely mental and the, it was a full party atmosphere at Turf Moor yesterday and Saka scoring that, it was just... I, the Burnley fans around me all started streaming out of the ground and they were just like, no, nah, not this again. And um, they just didn't come back. So it, at that point, we knew it was game over, but it was, let's get another couple of goals. Mm, yeah. And um, I want to talk about Martin Odegaard very quickly before we move on, because I felt like if someone deserves um, a lot of praise from that game, it was him. Very much Absolutely. went under the radar because, you know, you had your superstars, your, your sackers there. You had the uh, the Trossard goal, you know, trademark Trossard goal and Havertz, obviously. Um, <clears throat> splitting fans but one player who really played at the top of his game and had that final bit of quality needed to get the ball in that area in, in the Burnley box was Martin Odegaard and nine times out of ten every ball delivered whether it was to Havertz or whether it's played to short to Saka or whether it was switched to the other side of the pitch to um, Martinelli well Sorry about that. <laughs> it was absolutely perfect. I mean, he, 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 it seems as if that because he's been playing at this level for so long, we just don't really need to talk about him. Um, but he has been, in my opinion, the single difference maker in midfield from a creative point of view. Yeah, from a creative point of view, I think that's bang on. And I, I was thinking about this yesterday, just like, what he does on a pitch and how much we don't talk about what he and it's I, I was talking to my dad on the way home from the game and I was saying to him like when he sees Odegaard play in the flesh he's going to have a completely different understanding of like how good he is and uh, like that is one of those when Odegaard's on song it, it's just insane and it, uh, when you watch him in person and you're at a game it's even better than it is on TV. He's one of those, the things he does and the ease of which he does these ridiculously difficult things is just insane. But what's really interesting about Odegaard is the new role that he's playing. He's playing much deeper in possession. And a big part of that is because Kai is running in behind and making those off-the-ball runs that we that we wanted to see from the left eight. And he, he had the most runs into the box last year. And all the statistics pointed at Kai being an off-the-ball player for Arsenal and offering that goal threat from midfield. And hopefully we do start to see that. But by having that player, Odegaard is now able to get on the ball a lot more in deeper positions and his touches per game are going up. It's also given Saka a lot more breathing space. So the two of them whenever we were playing much more transitional football and teams weren't playing low blocks against us as much, they were really thriving because they were playing small-sided football with and really playing in very congested spaces down the right and then freeing up the rest of the team. And then we were able to really open teams up. Now we don't have that luxury. There's two banks of four, sometimes two banks of five in front of us. And when Saka and Odegaard play in a really tight space they almost get on top of each other 
So by bringing Odegaard up into this deeper role, we're seeing him just really pull the strings. And what's interesting is since the whole camera incident against Liverpool, he's got three assists and a goal. And I think the goal itself yesterday, that's a trademark Odegaard strike. It's get the ball in the edge of the box and rifle it in. So he showed again, he's still got those things in his locker. But the creativity that he's shown is just another level. I saw a stat before the game that Odegaard's creating a chance at the minute, something like every 27 minutes. And that's just an insane amount of creativity that he's adding to his game. Because the other thing is he just keeps running. I I don't know about you, but he never seems to look tired. It's like mm. 96 minutes in, Odegaard's still chasing the ball and he still wants to win it as if we're chasing the win. We're 5-0 up and he's still leading the team forward. And this is part of why I'm so frustrated at Eddie and Kedia. Is I look at Odegaard, club captain, setting that example for everyone else. And he's chasing the ball. He wants to win it. Even right at the end of the game, it was Odegaard driving us on. Get, he had that free kick where he, he he came close very late on as well. But it was him really, like, that heartbeat of the team. And that's why he's club captain. I know people talk about Declan Rice, but Odegaard is captain for a reason. The example he sets, just how good he is. And I think the, the creativity that you mentioned, I think you, you really hit the nail on the head there with it's him in midfield that has really helped unlock us. And I think a big part of that is... Arteta just tweaking his position slightly. And he's playing more of a, a Modric-Bernardo Silva role than he is a yeah. Kevin De Bruyne-type role. And he's really, really thriving. He looks like he's really enjoying his football. And he's a joy to watch. Incredible yeah, I, player. I, I, can't, I couldn't help but notice the partnership that he was striking up with Kai Havertz. There was a number of uh, times where the ball into the box direct, you know, whether it be a low pass or a, 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 a cross over the top, um, that combination seemed to be working a treat. So um, good. it's very good to see us evolving in our attacking play. You know, once upon a time, we were talking about a, um, a trio of players who are moving around. Now we've got two or three different ways of attacking, whether it be down the flank using overlapping wingers or whether it be direct balls into the box from the wing wing uh, the the flanks or via Odegaard with those um incredibly accurate sort of uh, crosses um yeah i'm very very pleased to see Odegaard playing with so much confidence and you don't really truly appreciate him until you watch him in the flesh it, it seems that every time you know i go to watch arsenal he sticks out like a thumb. He he's the one leading the press. He's the one with yeah. um, the keen eye to just know what he wants to do before he receives the ball. Um, and even the smallest of things, like the quick turns or um, you know the little uh, slick touches, it's it's you know a hallmark of a player with confidence, but also um, ability that far precedes those on the pitch. So, yeah, and I think um, he's adding things to his game constantly as well. This is why I, I said at the end of last season, the, the ceiling for Odegaard is so high because he's so intelligent. He's got such high technical levels, a great engine. But I, I think he follows Arteta's instructions to the letter. So things that maybe frustrate people about Odegaard, I believe a lot of them are instructional. 
because we're seeing him now being really creative, whereas he wasn't creating a lot when he was playing really high up the park. But one of the things I loved seeing, and it was something that I haven't seen a lot from him before, in the second half there was a stage, Ray got the ball and he it was a long throw and he, he put it right straight to Odegaard, really quick releases we've seen him do multiple times. And Odegaard took the ball in his left foot in his stride and drove forward. Usually we, we associate Odegaard with a player more, gets the ball, takes a touch, cuts inside and doesn't run, doesn't take the ball like at pace and go, travel with it. And they're small things that he's adding. And I just think if he keeps adding all these things to his game, we've just got a really special player that is probably going to keep getting better for the next three, maybe four years. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. He hasn't hit his peak yet. Still a lot more developments to come and it'll be interesting to see what happens with his role once other players are implemented into the system. As you said, we've still got Timber to come back. We've still got um, potentially Partey to come back as well. So yeah, watch this space. Um, So Arsenal get their third goal very early on in the second half. Um, And then the game's kind of stopped for a good five to six minutes because of Ramsey's injury Um, game gets uh, restarted again and it doesn't take us very long before we get a fourth and it comes moments before um, Trossard missing an opportunity so uh, if you remember back it was Martinelli with an acrobatic acrobatic back pass into Trossard Um, the finish was poor but I I really enjoyed um, Martinelli's interception, the sharpness, the the, the awareness to to intercept the ball and then um, play it into the path of Trossard. He eventually scores. Um, it's a lovely ball into the box from Kivior, which was meant for Saka, but ends up passing him and Havertz into the path of of Trossard and into the back of the net. Um, Arsenal for Burnley nil. Now Trossard continues to keep his place. I know this might change with Jesus coming back. Do you think the our, our attacking football benefits um, having Trossard there as opposed to having Jesus playing as a as, as the central striker? Um, I know. I, I think both of them are very very good at the role. I think Havertz as well. All three of them really are very good in that position. I think right now Trossard's playing maybe the best football he's played at Arsenal because he's scoring goals. Last year when he was excellent, he wasn't scoring, but he was assisting a lot. I think Trossard's in the form of his life right now and he's scored scored against Palace, um, Liverpool, West Ham. So he scored four in the last four games. He's just a player on fire. I think he's really earned his place in the team. He should have scored more yesterday, and um, he had multiple chances. It, I, I would say that was probably his worst game in front of goal because he, he's one of the best finishers in our team. But both him and Jesus are so intelligent in their play up front. And I think every everyone looks at Gabriel Jesus and just thinks work rate. But what Jesus does on the ball, the havoc he creates is in a large part down to his dribbling ability and his passing. And um, I think what Trossard has that Jesus doesn't is that he is a better finisher. He's more willing to take a shot than Jesus is at times. And he's a, he's a much cleaner striker of the ball. But uh, for me, Jesus is probably the better player overall. But I think Jesus has to earn his 
placing the team back because I don't know about you, but if you just drop Trossard, given the, what he's delivered while Jesus has been back, what message does that send to him? You want every player to be hungry and to keep players hungry, you have to reward them for when they are playing well. And for me right now, Trossard's our first choice striker. If Jesus comes back and performs well, he can be our first choice striker when the time comes. But you have to earn your place in the team. And I think we're, again, beyond certain players just walking straight back into the team. And I, I, I'm i going to put Zinchenko in that category as well, given how well Kivior has been playing. Yeah, another interesting player um, who you know, despite what some might, some might think of him, he's keeping his place. How did you assess his performance yesterday? I, for one, felt like it was a pretty standard performance. I don't think there was anything that really stood out for me. I still feel like um, he lacks the right type of quality needed to start for Arsenal or even um, be on the bench. I know it sounds harsh, but um, I... I don't see I don't I don't see him keeping his place when when Timber returns. Having said that though, um he's one of those players who strikes me as someone who will evolve as his career progresses. I don't see him being a fullback. I see him more as a um Center maybe half. a yeah, maybe maybe a left uh, 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 did you say centre half? I, I I would have said a left sided um, centre mid because he's so good technically, and he's really good at linking up play. I, I really enjoy seeing him getting into the thick of um, ball retention, passing it around, and you know the fourth goal where he essentially it was his ball um, which found its way to Trossard. Um, a number of times he's he's done this this season where he's in the latter stages of the pitch and he makes himself available and he's not shy to get himself involved yeah I mean I, I thought yesterday was one of his best games that he's played for us he had a really really strong performance and both defensively and defensively but it, he did play for uh, Spazia before he signed for Arsenal his first year there he did play as a centre midfielder and then he moved back into a left-sided defender so He's someone I, I, I'm still unsure about certain things about his game. One being aggression. I'm not sure he's got the natural aggression of a player to be truly elite, but I think he's someone that he's a very good player and someone who's a very good player to have within the squad. Is He kind of reminds me of Laporte that played for City and mm. he, he's... But yeah, he's someone like he's playing out of position for Arsenal right now. He's performing very well. And he's someone like I think you have to look at kind of what people are what players are doing as opposed to what they can't do. And I think he has benefited from Arteta probably making mistakes last season. So last year Arteta got Tierney to invert at left back which he very clearly wasn't capable of doing. And, well, not to a high standard anyway. And this year, Arteta got Kivior to invert, and he really struggled to do that role. He looked very, very kind of out of place within it. And even though he, he is a decent passer of the ball, technically he's fairly secure, that 
rule is very, very specific and you have to have very good turning ability and so on. But Arteta's tweaked it. So Ben White's doing all the inverting now and Kivior's playing much more as a traditional left back. And I think had Arteta have done that last season, we probably could have got a lot more out of Kieran Tierney. So I do have a bit of sympathy for Kieran Tierney in that sense. But with Kivior, I'm very impressed with him. It's also important to remember that he's. this is probably the most successive football that he's played for a long time. It's He's been in and out of the team at Arsenal. He hasn't played a huge amount of football. He has been brought off the bench in games. But all in all, I, I'm impressed with him, and I think he's proven to be a really good squad player. That Because ultimately, with your squad players, what you want is them to be able to step up when they're called upon. And that's what he's doing, and he's been very, very solid in two games that we've won five and six nil. Okay, cool. So let's uh, let's move on to talk about the subs changes made by Arteta um, in the 68th minutes. Trossard, White, and Saka come off for Cedric Nelson and Inketia. Um, almost immediately coming on Inketia misses a header, which he really should be putting on target. Was 100%. not impressed by that at all. So uh, since we're here um, and we've uh, arrived at your favourite player, why don't you give us an insight into why you've lost all patience with Eddie Nketiah. Was it was it uh, purely down to this particular performance? Or... No. Okay. W- when was so, it the moment where you, so, you know? Um, it, I've been uh, frustrated with him for a while. I think it's probably since he got that hat-trick at Forest. Mm. Um, he, no, Sheffield United. Um, he... <sighs> The, the thing that frustrates me, and again, I've talked about it on the pod before, is when Nketiah comes on, he looks tired and he doesn't bring anywhere near the same work rate or energy. And I look at Reese Nelson when he comes on the pitch. Nelson chases down every ball. He what well, he shows for it. He, he's making runs. He's competing in duels. With Nketiah, I think what really made me lose a lot of patience with him was in the Forest game um, when we went, you know, when they scored and completely against the run of play, we were 2-0 up, we were comfortable. And Kenny had come on in that game and he was just run, like walking around the pitch. It was kind of, I'll have a, a little jog over here, a jog over there. And there was no aggression in his press and there was no energy. And then I compare that to... By other players when they're on the pitch, you look at what Jesus does, Trossard does, Caverts, um, Nelson, as I've just said, all those players really put a shift in. And I just think these are moments for Inkeria. Come on, close players down, try and win that ball back, make yourself available, show for it, try and get yourself a goal. Yes, we're 5 0 up. But that team is there for the take, and we can score another couple of goals. I want to see that energy. I want to see that intent from a player. And right now, I just feel like he's a player that's a bit pissed off that he's not playing, and he's he's just never kicked on. I feel like he has moments, and then it just all slows down for him. Like United last season, he scored two in that game, obviously got the winner, huge moment, and then his form just dipped completely from that point, went off a cliff. This year, he started well, goals in the first couple of games. He got that big goal against Fulham. Again, it looked like he was going to start progressing. Then his form dipped again. 
Then he gets that hat-trick against Sheffield United, hasn't scored since. And these are things I look at and think, right, if you're going to be the second-choice striker at Arsenal on a 100 grand a week wearing the 14 shirt, I need to see a lot more from you. And right now, I think he's probably the fourth-choice striker at the club. And it's obviously Jesus and Trossard and then Havertz. And I think that shows how little faith Arteta has in him. He's coming on at 4 0 when we're 4-0 up in games and last week he came on at 6-0 so I just don't feel that the faith is there in Eddie anymore and sadly I think it's time for him to go because I he's a player that I've always wanted to do well because he's an academy player I've always liked his work ethic his hunger I just don't think that's there anymore and I think right now the best thing Arsenal can do is keep giving him minutes whenever games are won and ensure that he's continuing to play football so that we can sell him for a decent fee in the summer. Mm, yeah, and at this at this rate, surely he would know himself that it's the end of the line, you know, I need to be playing for a move. But it's really surprising to see a player not, and I don't know, I mean, at this point, maybe, uh, I, f- I feel like maybe it is just the way that he is. Maybe that's just his playing style. Maybe his strengths are just that, you know, he's not. Yeah. Um, he's just he, not suited to yeah, this just, level of football. That's it. That's it. Um, okay. Well, on a, on a brighter note, um, someone who is turning his favors around is Kai Havertz. We've spoken about him at lengths and he gets a goal. And a really good goal, a really good goal as well. It wasn't just, you know, as if it was a tap in or he, he he was in the back post and he got a header. It was a really good solo goal and came from a throw in, which puts him um, in behind. He still had a lot of work to do, you know, to get himself in a goal scoring position. And he strikes and he scores. It was a really, really good piece of individual goal, uh, individual skill from him and, you know, really chuffed for him. He looked really happy and hopefully that should take him um, to another level. And I'm not sure, you know, what the starting lineup will be against Porto, but boy, oh boy, you know, that will be the game to really see the, 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 that will, that will be the game to show us, you know, who is where and, some of the best versions of um, individuals, you know, like I, I very much expect to see Martin Odegaard at his, at his best, Saka at his best, Martin Elliott at his best, you know. So hopefully Havertz is also one of them who can use that goal to propel him into another sort of um, position. Um, so look, Arsenal 5-0 up, very much cruising. Uh, the officials decide to add 10 minutes on for, understandably, for Ramsey's injury. Um, we see a cameo of Emil Smith-Rowe. And also, we see a, a little bit of a pullback from Arsenal. Um, something that I've noticed in the last couple of games is that, and and I guess, uh, and, and I know this, I guess this is a little bit unfair of me or anyone else to point out or maybe be critical of is um, when you're five or six nil up still having the concentration to see the game out. We're all human beings at the end of the day. Um, you know, psychologically, when you're right at the end of it, you, you want to naturally ease off a little bit but Burnley had a real go and I think they had two opportunities in the final 10 minutes um, wouldn't have made any real difference but ultimately we get the clean sheet um, how much does that do for confidence going into the next few games which are you know difficult games when, we, when we're when we looking at the final 10 fixtures we still have to get through 
the the next three in front of us, which is Newcastle at home, Sheffield United away and Brentford at home. So two clean sheets, uh, 11 goals scored. What do we, what do you expect to see Adam in those three Premier League games? Three wins. So yeah, I, I think the, one of the things, so I, I don't know how much this has actually come across on TV, the, the rain was insane in the second half yesterday. So this was part of why I was so impressed with our second half performance. The wind and the rain at Turf Moor was, I got absolutely drenched coming out of the ground. I was still soaked kind of at least an hour later when I was driving home. And the uh, so I, I think we were playing against the conditions as well late on. And there is also, if you look at the, the players that came on, there is a huge drop off in quality. Cedric, uh, the minute Ben White came off, you noticed a big, big drop off. Um, but again, one of the things we we need to give Arteta credit for because it's something we've questioned him about before is not taking players off today or yesterday. He took off Trossard, Saka, and Ben White after 69 minutes. Got Declan Rice out of the game on 79 and Havertz off after 84. There's five key players that will all be starting against Porto. And they'll be fresh. And I think it's that obviously there is a, a drop off from the likes of Havertz to Smith Rowe, um, Saka to Nelson, Cedric from Ben White, and so on. But I think we managed it very well. And there's going to be some fresh legs ahead of the Porto game, plenty of time to recover. And that's a massive thing. So, again, Newcastle next weekend is going to be a hard game having had our first Champions League game in what two three months so so yeah but I I do fully expect us to win our next three league games and hopefully put at least six past Sheffield United because they're a very bad side (laughs) okay well only time will tell and yep as you said we're back in the Champions League Um, a very very important game against Porto the round of last 16 where Arsenal hope to progress into the quarterfinals and we will be speaking about that game once um, the final whistle blows for that Uh, but for this episode unfortunately it is time for us to say goodbye I do want to say a massive thank you to everyone who's listened up until this point thank you very very much Um, I know the last few weeks have been a little bit uh, different with me not being on the show and um, not being able to release last episode as well but um, we're going to be making some big changes to the podcast in the next few weeks so uh, stay tuned for all of that if you did enjoy this particular episode please do make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Let us know what you thought of the show by reaching out to us on Twitter. You can find us over there at Arsenal Therapy. You can also find Adam over there at Adam Keys underscore Monty at ATP Monty. And you can find myself over there at Gunner since 96. As always, we'll be back in, in the next few days to give you your usual weekly dose of Arsenal therapy. But if you can't wait until then, make sure to head over to the Arsenal Therapy YouTube channel for the 15-minute show and the preview show. Um, Adam's been doing some incredible work over there and things are really picking up. So make sure that you subscribe to the channel and make sure you tune into those shows as well. Um, But until then, take care, have yourselves a lovely week, and we'll speak to you soon. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.